Hey, welcome to Restoration Church. We are so glad to have you here. My name is Nate, and I'm the lead pastor here. And for the next few moments, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk, but I hope we'll have a good time together. And uh, if you've never been to Restoration Church before, welcome. Uh, probably a little bit different than you expected. And if you've never been to church before, we're glad to be your first experience at church. And um, we, we try to have fun every week. We try to laugh every week, and we try to let... God move in our lives every week. And so for the next few moments as I talk, just be open to something that God might want to do in your life because we believe that you're not here an accident, but really, truly, that God wants to show himself to, to you. He wants to change your life and he wants to do something. And if you'll, if you'll let him, uh, today could change the rest of your life. Now, we talked on that video kind of jokingly about pumpkin spice, but really it's everywhere. I mean, it's infiltrated every part of our life. And there are some that say it's too much of a good thing. Now, I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, and it's a, kind of a hard thing to understand. How can you have too much of a good thing? Now, I get and I can completely understand too much of a bad thing. About uh, three or four weeks ago, um, my wife and I and our kids, we went to her sister's house and uh, my two brothers-in-law and their kids and my kids, we all played hide-and-go-seek in the dark at my brother-in-law's house. And I like to win, uh, and, um, and uh, hide-and-go-seek is my favorite game of all time. I've been playing that for decades now, uh, decades and decades. I will still be playing it as an old man, just I won't know that I'm playing it myself. So the... <laughs> the Where's Grandpa Nate? Where'd he go? And uh, good luck finding me. Um, so I, uh, I, anyway, it's hide and seek and in the dark. And I, so I'm, I'm crawling through the woods. No one can find me. Well, anyway, four days later, I have the worst poison ivy I've ever had in my whole life. So I, I've had manageable amounts of poison ivy before, but this time I had way too much. And so I get and understand too much of a bad thing. Maybe you've never had poison ivy before, but maybe you understand this, some of you, hopefully none of you. It, have you ever noticed that it's the kids who hate school who always get invited to attend during the summer? So they hate it, they don't want to have anything to do with it, but yet they're going more than the rest of us, or at least the truancy officer is trying to force them to go more than the rest of us. If there's something in your life that you don't like, you understand having too much of it, but how, if there's something that you like, do we get to the place where we say, it's too much, I don't want any more? And that's kind of where this pumpkin thing comes in. And some say, like, I used to like pumpkin spice, but now I'm sick of it. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. And you know what? I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a fanatic over the flavor or anything, but it is everywhere. The pumpkin spice products are everywhere. And I saw this last week, pumpkin spice dog treats. Like, what is the point? Why are you buying this for your dog? My dog eats out of the garbage, all right? We don't, it does not have a, she does not have a very sophisticated palate uh, to, you know, to be uh, wasting your money on this. So it is, it is, it can feel like too much of a good thing. So why does this happen? Why can you as an individual like something, love something, and then get to the place where you're really repulsed by it or you don't want to have it again for a long, long time? There's a term in economics 
which is how we would use to describe this. It is the law of diminishing return. That's an economics term, but we get this in our life. And here's the definition in economics. It is uh, if that if one input in the production of a commodity is increased while all other inputs are held fixed, a point will eventually be reached in which additions of the input yield progressively smaller or diminishing increases in output. Let me explain. Eventually, you get to the place, you don't want it anymore, or as much as you keep adding and adding and adding, it adds no further results and even can de decrease results. So one example of this outside of flavorful foods would be in agriculture. And so there you can uh, try to grow a crop or grow a garden, and you add fertilizer to that. But adding more fertilizer won't yield more results, and eventually you can add so much fertilizer that it'll actually reduce your results. That's the law of diminishing return. For those of you who are fitness fanatics and you're training, you're lifting all the time, uh, it's true in that realm as well. You cannot just keep lifting more and more and more and lifting longer and harder and doing that nonstop because eventually it, it's not going to have results and eventually you'll actually find a decrease in strength and a decrease in results if you keep doing that. If you want to have a return, then you have to stop and rest and let your muscles rebuild. And if you do that and have that as part of your routine, then, and really only then, will you be able to see the results you want. Uh, uh, more and more and more, and, and doing more and more and more, does not um, mean you'll have more results. And most of the time, it means you'll have less results. Now, back to another kind of food story here. A few days ago, I had a meeting that was uh, a little bit a ways away, so my friend invited me over his house to have dinner before the meeting. We were both attending. And uh, so I went over, I had dinner with them, talking, and it was all over. His wife said, hey, you want some ice cream? So I said, yeah. And uh, she sent her husband down to the basement to get the ice cream. So when, uh, when he gets, he's like halfway down the stairs and he yells out to his wife, hey, do you want peppermint ice cream? And then she says, no, not tonight. And then he yells, tell him how much you bought. And so I, I look across the table at his wife. She says, oh, I love peppermint ice cream. So in the winter, when it's on sale, I stock up and buy a whole bunch uh, so that way I can have it all year long. This past winter, I bought 34 quarts of Friendly's peppermint ice cream. And, and just like matter-of-factly and uh, no cause for alarm. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so she immediately gets up, like she wants to show me. So she goes, she takes three steps over to her freezer and goes, see, peppermint ice cream. I'm almost out. And uh, so uh, her husband comes uh, back upstairs, and she's still talking to me about peppermint ice cream. And she's done this for years because she's talking about how she used to, um, before they had a freezer in the basement dedicated for their ice cream, they, uh, she, and they had a different refrigerator. She'd have to stack it in. And so she's been doing this for a number of years. And so she says to me, I probably won't buy as much this winter. I need a little variety. I love that. A little variety, not much, and I'll buy 30. And, uh, and then her husband was like, yeah, sure you will. And anyway, you just think about that. Like, here's someone who 
is more infatuated with the food than I've ever seen anybody. And uh, committed to it, buying appliances to, to, to stock it and secure it. And even she gets to the place after, it took a lot of years, but to say, I think I'll buy a little bit less this next year. I've just about reached my capacity of how much peppermint ice cream I can consume. And we, we all experience this, even the things we love, you can have too much of a good thing. You eventually get to the place where you're sick of it. And why? Why does this happen? Again, it's that law of diminishing return. Now, there was a, a minister and a professor of theology at Harvard University. He died in 1936, so uh, I'm going to quote him here. And it happened a long time ago. But one of his chapels that he was teaching in Harvard, he talked about Jesus. And he, used, he talked about economics and the law of diminishing return. And then he said this about Jesus, that Jesus is, that, that following Jesus and, and, and the laws of Jesus is the law of increasing return. And so as you know him, as you follow him, as you experience him, that the more you do that, then the more you gain from that. And the more you know him, the, the more you get from it. And because he's infinite, because, he's, uh, because he has no limitation, then as we experience him and as we get to know him, there is no limitation on that. There is Never a place in our pursuit of Jesus where it has a diminishing return. He promises and is an ever-increasing return in our life. And that is certainly different than maybe anything you've experienced, anything you've been taught, uh, maybe anything that you've ever, ever understood. The more you know him, the more you're around him, the more you follow him, the greater he is to you, the greater he becomes to you. It's the law of increasing return. There was a, a guy that knew Jesus personally while well, Jesus was here on earth. This guy knew him and followed him. He was one of his disciples. His name was Peter. And he had written uh, 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 a couple of different letters in the Bible. And we're going to look at one of those today. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free at the Welcome Center. And uh, if you forgot yours, go ahead and open up your Bible app, follow along with us. But this guy, Peter, he, we want to read what he says because he lived it. He knew it. You know, he, he wasn't born into a household of people who were Jesus followers. He was the first in, he was one of the first in history to ever follow Jesus. He was the first in his family. And, um, so when he kind of speaks to this, it's something we want to learn. He has an authority uh, to him and to what he says. So he followed Jesus. He was taught by Jesus. He witnessed the death of Jesus. And then he firsthand uh, witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, that he was dead for three days, but Peter saw him alive again. And he was able to tell other people about that. He spent the rest of his life telling other people about Jesus and the good news of Jesus until he himself, Peter, was killed and executed for being a follower of Jesus um, uh, later in his life. So what we're about to read is obviously before he was killed and uh, he'd been serving Jesus a long time. 
and he, and he said this, and I want to read this to you. It'll be up here on the screens. And he writes this to the churches. He says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. What he's describing here is the law of increasing returns. As you grow in knowledge of Jesus, as you grow in your following of Jesus, that there is more and more for you to receive. You can't get too much Jesus. You can't get to a place where you've experienced everything there is to experience about Jesus and you have to go searching for other gods or searching for other ways. There, as you pursue him and as you get to know him, it will never end. His goodness will never end. The things he can do in your life will never end, ever. There'll never, ever be a place in your pursuit of him where you say, you know what, I need a break because I'm kind of getting sick of them. Now, religion, church, those types of things, if they're not focused on Jesus, absolutely you can be repulsed and sick of that. But that's not what being a follower of Jesus is. It's not being religious. It's not having just, just showing up at church. It's this pursuit of knowing him and following him. And uh, that is where we experience him. And that is where we experience what Peter wrote here. That's where we experience the law of increasing return. Now, truthfully, you may be here and you haven't been to church in a long time because that's not what you experienced. And maybe you're even thinking about like, hey, this is my last Sunday. I'm probably never coming back. And, and you're like, you know what? I, I haven't experienced Jesus that way. Well, why haven't you? Why have so many people just kind of showed up at church and then left and what is it? What is it that's different about what I'm talking about than from what you've experienced? One reason is this. We treat Jesus as a commodity. We treat him like we treat pumpkin spice flavoring. It's just something that is consumed. It's for us. It's for our own enjoyment. We kind of uh, pick and choose whenever we want it. And um, it's... If you treat Jesus that way, you're missing out. And when we treat Jesus like a commodity, it's really something we like around the holidays. So when it's Easter time, you know, we like to show back up at church again. We like to, hey, tell our kids, hey, this is what we used to do when I grew up. When it's Christmas time, you know, we might put a manger on, on our, our uh, you know, in our Christmas decorations. We'll, we like to sing those Christmas songs about him and teach him to our kids, but we're not teaching them about him. We're just teaching them about some of the traditions we used to have, and we're treating them about this commodity of Jesus that makes us feel good or makes us feel nostalgic. In some ways, and I hate to describe Jesus this way, but we just like to get a taste of him now and then. Every once in a while, you just like to put in that CD that reminds you of of a time, or listen to that song, or show up at that church, and just get a feeling, but really it has nothing to do with, with Jesus. The same way that first pumpkin spice latte in September, and you're just like, oh yeah, this is why I like this. Oh yeah, this is why I don't like this. It's the same kind of way you're treating Jesus. 
just something you come back to every now and again. And treating Jesus as a commodity is not the type of, it's not the Jesus we're talking about today. Now, the other thing that you can do is uh, you treat Jesus as ordinary. And if you're someone who grew up in church, you've been part of a church a long time, your parents made you go to church, um, you've always heard about Jesus, but you've never followed him, this is kind of where you are. And so when I talk about Jesus, this is where you're like, man, I've, I've been to church my whole life. That's not true. And you've heard about him, and so you think you know him, but you don't know him. You just know about him. You've heard all these stories about him, and so you're like, these stories aren't doing anything for me in my life, but that's not what we're talking about either. He is not ordinary. And we're not asking you, we're not saying these stories and these Bible stories and, these, um, and, and just attending church is what Jesus is and, what, uh, and who he is and what Jesus is about. He's something greater than that. Now, I was trying to think through, I wanted to, uh, there was an example of this that I thought of, and we've had a bunch of weddings, we've got a, uh, we've got a handful of newlyweds here in the building, uh, this service actually, which is exciting, congratulations, and um, I was thinking about this, what happens in someone's life where they are committing themselves to each other, they're having a ceremony, they're inviting lots of people, there's passion, there's romance, there, you, you know, and, and then they get to the point where 30 years later, they're, just, they're, inter, they're telling their friends, like, uh, yeah, that's my old lady, you know? What happens in someone where you go from being lovers to describing her as my old lady? Like, what happens in a relationship? And it's this idea, you're taking something and making it ordinary. How did that relationship become so ordinary that you would even want to call her your old, old lady? You know, what, where, what, what changed? What went wrong? And this is where we kind of are with Jesus, that we're not seeing him as who he is. We're not seeing him for what he's done. He is God in flesh. And we sing about that at Christmas and we celebrate that at Christmas. But re to remember, it's not just some guy who lived. He was God in heaven, creator of the heavens and the earth. And he said, I've made a people and they need a savior. So he came, he left heaven, became a man, became a baby. Um, so that way he could have the ability to pay the price for our sins so that we could be made right with his father God, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be offered eternal life in heaven. And so he did all of that. None of that is ordinary, and none of that is anything that you or I could have done. So he's not ordinary, he's extraordinary. He's God in flesh, he's the savior of the world, he's the resurrected king. And you begin to see him for who he is and give him the honor in your life for who he is. And all of a sudden, you're beginning to get and put yourself in a place where you're going to know him more and more and greater and greater. And following him becomes better and better. We treat Jesus as a commodity when we should see him as king. We treat Jesus as ordinary, but we should see him as extraordinary. He is not, he is not like you or I. He is not like anything we could ever experience. He is God. 
when you do that, Peter says, when you see Jesus that way, the way he did, all of a sudden, the more you know him, the better it gets. The more you know him, the more you want to know him. The more you follow him, the more you want to follow him because he has a lot of increasing return. Imagine if every time you did something, it was better and better and better. Every time you, every day you follow Jesus, it gets better. And you can ask some of the old timers in the church who've been following Jesus for a lot of years, for decades and decades, and ask them about this. That serving and following Jesus is greater today than it was. And it's so great today because they've been following him for so many years. So Peter says, listen, you're going to increase in this. There's going to be more and more grace, more and more peace in your life as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus. But this is not a historical knowledge of Jesus. So this isn't just, oh, I'm going to get to know Jesus. I'm going to read some history books and find out who Jesus was in history. This is not talking about that. People, history is not, does not do that for you. Um, History, uh, knowing Jesus as a historical figure is not going to give you more and more of the things in your life that you want because uh, people don't want more and more history. This is why the top show on the History Channel is Pawn Stars, because people don't really want that much to do with history. But when you understand Jesus and you're following Jesus, it's not a historical knowledge of Jesus. It is an experiential knowledge of Jesus. And I'm going to talk about Jesus right now in a way that you maybe you've never heard of before. Um, and, and I just want you to hear what's possible. You can know and experience in a tangible way the love of Jesus in your life. It's not a head knowledge of it, but it's experiential. You can feel his love and how much he loves you for yourself. And I've, the first, I grew up in church my entire life. The first time I felt that, I was 14 years old. And it, it, that moment is forever in my life. As all of a sudden, it, all the dots were connected. You can know and experience his forgiveness. This is a big deal because we have so many things that we're holding on ourselves, so many things we're ashamed of, so many things we're embarrassed of. And to know what it is to to ask Jesus to, to forgive you, and you will feel that when he does that. And uh, this is this is amazing thing that you can experience today. You can know and experience his uh, his presence. That you could feel the, the, the presence of God in your life. And sometimes people come to a church and, and uh, they'll come to me after and they're like, Pastor Nate, what was the deal? I was crying through all the songs. I'd never cry. What was happening? And I'll say, well, it's the presence of God in your life. And they're, they're never shocked by that. They're like, oh, yeah, that makes, I get it. Uh, all right. And, uh, and that explains it all. Because I know what I was feeling wasn't just emotions. I wasn't sad. But I was happy, and I don't normally cry like that when I'm happy. What was, what was going on? It was just God showing you how much he cares about you, how much he loves you. And uh, you can know and experience his voice. And this is where, like, sometimes if, you've, if you've never heard this before, it can seem so bizarre and so crazy. But 
but Jesus can speak to you. And uh, the first time it happens, you, you, you'll probably be surprised that all of a sudden you have this thought in your heart, this thought in your head, and you realize that was not my thought. Like God just uh, spoke an encouragement to me. God just uh, told me he loved me. Jesus just spoke in my life, and you can know that. So as you know, as you grow in your knowledge and experience in Jesus, then the more you know him, the more he affects your life. The more you know him, the more you want him to affect your life. There's more and more grace. There's more and more peace in your life. Because of who he is, as you follow him, there's unending goodness for you to enjoy and to experience with him. Peter knew this because Peter lived this. And one of the reasons that I'm sharing this message with you is because, man, I'm not a perfect person, but I've experienced this. I've been part of my church, uh, part of church my entire life. And every day following him is better than the day before following him. And never in all, I mean, I'm not very old, but in all the years of my life have I gotten to the place where I've been disappointed because Jesus had to, like, repeat something. And I'm like, oh, you've already done that. It's getting old. No, he, he's infinite in his goodness. So Peter, it all started for him. Remember, he, he, didn't, he didn't grow up following Jesus. He was a commercial fisherman, and then one day when he was at work, Jesus showed up and said, hey, why don't you follow me? And so Peter did that. He gave up his career, spent the next three and a half years learning from Jesus and following him. Then Jesus was killed and crucified and resurrected. And, and, um, and so Peter witnessed it and just made a decision to follow him for the rest of his life. And he spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus. And it was in that, even in some of the hardships that he faced where he wrote this, May you experience more and more grace and more and more goodness as you just are committed to following Jesus. Today, I want to make you an invitation like Jesus made Peter. You can make a decision today to follow Jesus. And it's not hard, it's not complicated, but it's saying to him, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I... Um, I need you to forgive me, and I ask you to forgive me for the things I've done in my life, and I ask you to be my Lord and my God. I make a decision today to follow you. And that simple prayer changes everything, and it starts you now in the beginning journey of the law of increasing returns. It starts you now in just the very beginning days of seeing his goodness, the very beginning days of learning, and what happens you know, when you get to the end of your life and you've been faithfully following Jesus, nobody ever regrets that. And you can know him and experience him and enjoy him forever. If you're comfortable, will you close your eyes? I just want to pray for you. Jesus, there are people in here who've never made a decision to follow you they've never they've never known you the way that i've talked about you today i pray that right now they just make a decision to give you their life make a decision to follow you you show them your goodness through forgiveness you show them your goodness through your presence you show them your goodness 
through your love in their life right now that they'd experience it. And I just pray that they will, that they will follow you. God, I pray for the people here who they just, just have gotten off track and there was a time where they knew you and they followed you, but they've been distracted, they've been sidetracked, they've chased other things. And I pray they will return to you. They will recommit their lives to you. And God, they'll just be convinced and they'll know there's nothing better than you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.